Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. School systems are pretty much the same all over the world. The mainstream systems are largely the same. Standardized, not particularly great for children. There's a massive global epidemic of disengagement across the school systems. We have this delusion about education that is delivery. That I just take it out of here and put it over there and then we're good. Yeah, yeah. We have to reconceptualize. We have to think about education not just as delivery, but also social justice work, social change work, fulfillment work, enlightenment is a part of education. How do you think about that? How do you create an organization or a, or a school organization that can actually enable enlightenment to happen? My vision of the world is when enthusiastic students are taught by passionate teachers in joyful schools. That vision can be accomplished if we start to tune into exactly what it is that brings a human alive. What is it that gives them the enthusiasm? What is it that enables a teacher to be passionate such that when they come together, joy is the result. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us today, it is a treat, Don Berg. Don, how are you there, mate? Doing great. Yeah, yeah, loving it. So good to have you here. For those that are tuning into Don for the first time, give me two secs. Let me do the honors. Don created Catalytic Pedagogy, Holistic Equity, and Back to Basics 2.0. He founded Attuator Media and is the executive director of Deeper Learning Advocates. Thank you so much for being here, Don. I said one of the things wrong. Was it Attitude? How do I say Attitude-er. that? Attitude. Attitude. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, there you go. For 
enlightening me. I have to admit, even I was uh, in preparation for the show, I was like, pedagogy, pedagogy, peda, peda. And I was right. like, I know how to say this word. And then I was like, oh, man. It's like one of those words that I'd, I'd like, it's been a while since I've come to. And I was like, I like, and both sounded equally as pedagogy. Right, right. Well, I think, it, I think like, it depends on where you're at, where you're from. Ah, uh, I, there you I go. Think pedagogy. So both, yeah, but I, think I think it's pedagogy as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are some places where it is pedagogy. You know, uh, or, or, okay. Okay, so, cool. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a regional thing, is it an accent? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're making me feel better, which I appreciate. <laughs> but I was I was having a bit of a yeah. So at the heart of it, a lot of your stuff's around education, Don. Absolutely. And before we dive all the way deep into the rabbit hole, what is Fork's achievement? Talking about words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So faux achievement. Um is is fake achievement so so when you go through the motions you know when, when you're in school and you just kind of uh did what was in front of you you did the stuff but you didn't mm -hmm. concentrate you didn't particularly put much effort into it or mm -hmm. uh you know you just did enough to mm -hmm. get by and yeah. you didn't truly learn, learn the lesson the, the 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 classic is sort of i took the test and i forgot it five minutes later that's <laughs> faux achievement you know it, i was actually pretty good at school um, yeah. But I don't think I learned as much as I could have. I know that it was not uh, the kind of energizing, fulfilling thing that I knew learning could be. Uh, because in my family, we used to go out, go to museums, and we would go places, and we would like really, you know, learn a lot from mm. what, we're, what we were doing. And I mm -hmm. realized when I would do museums in school, like, you know, you could do the field trip to the museum. Yep. And it's like, they made museums boring. And at some point, I was like, yeah. man, that's so weird. Because on the one hand, I grew up like enjoying museums. And then in school, it was like, These are the, this is just boring and, and terrible. Yeah. So uh, there, there's this real difference, disconnect between how our supposedly learning institutions are working and and mm. how learning actually is this enjoyment and it's exciting and it's and you know your enthusiasms it doesn't mean it's not hard work it is mm -hmm. and you can actually be really challenged by it in a lot in, in all your dimensions you know but when you have a system that makes it boring that that puts it into a way that that is uh takes the life out of it Mm. then that's that's a different thing and and you you are learning something because as long as you're alive you're learning mm. but when you learn to be depressed or anxious or you know you learn that life is a certain is not the enthusiasm of life mm. is not imbued in everything then you learn that that's not how life is um and so we learn these lessons of how not to show up fully how to how not to be truly present to the moment or to what's really enjoyable about a museum, for instance, um, is you learn something else. And, and, and that's kind of what my work is really focused at. And faux achievement is that level of doing that where you look successful from the outside, mm. but you haven't really tuned in and learned what you truly could out of that and whatever that experience was, whether it was a lesson or a museum or the library or, or something else. So I um for those that are watching the YouTube video, you can see the grimace on my face. <laughs> for those that are tuning into the audio, you can't. And the reason that exists is because at the risk of polarizing this podcast from the outset, um 
yeah, I touch wood resonate so deeply with what you shared. Like I was academically at school perceived to be quite apt. Um, and yet I look back and there are definitely certain subjects where, yeah, I absolutely loved what I was learning and there was like a real thirst for, but there was other subjects which I still did well at. And I look back Mm -hmm. and I go, no, that was just me. Just, you know, just (laughs) exactly what you said, learn what you need to for just right now. And then 20 minutes Mm -hmm. later, it's gone. And It's, it was even, then that went from all the levels. It went from early on, even all the way through to university. There were certain yep. subjects that, yeah, like you just, I literally just crammed in before exams. And then as soon as exams were done, I crammed them out as fast as I could yeah, <laughs> as well, yeah, it seems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I know some people were probably challenged by that because they're, you know, they're tuning in, they're like, you know, academics didn't come to me that naturally and, you know, how... Uh, privileged yeah. of you to even suggest that, but I oh, think absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like that, I said, that, at the risk of being polarizing. Yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. go on. Yep, I, I think I think that's one thing you have to appreciate, though, is that is that there is so so um, we focus on people who drop out of school, and and that's a, mm. that's not that 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 can that's that represents a tragedy usually, um, mm-hmm. unless they're rising out of school into something better, but usually it's not. Um, but when we yeah, also focus it. on kids, it, it, sometimes it turns it, out afterwards rarely, that they yeah. rose into something. But at the time, it's yeah. like you said, it's it's a collective social stigmatized tragedy. Yeah, exactly. And and then you have the people who who uh, did stayed in school but didn't mm. do well, so they were underachieving. So you have the mm. dropouts, you have the underachievers, and those are both tragedies. Mm. And then you have the faux achievers, the ones like us who faked mm. our way through it. We got some of the rewards. And, and truly the privileges that accrued from having that, that diploma or that, you know, whatever it was, the degree, we mm. had that on our wall and mm-hmm. we got some privilege from that. Um, but that's no less a tragedy than the others because they all represent the same fundamental problem. And that's the disengagement from learning itself, which is, I would argue, disengagement from life itself, only at smaller degrees and different degrees. It's the same phenomenon. You're disengaging from something. And when you disengage, you pull back from it and you you deny the lessons that are possible to learn in that situation. Uh, or or you, you learn a different lesson. Like I said, anytime you're alive, you're learning. But you, you when, you're, when your brain goes into survival mode instead of thrival mode, so that survival mode is like, okay, I got to protect myself. Well, one of the ways I can protect myself when I'm really, really smart is I can say, I don't really put much value on this, so I'm just going to skim it. I'm going to cram it in and let it go. You know, Mm. that's no less tragic than the others because it represents some level of disengagement. And what we were successful at was Mm. learning how not to be fully connected to life in that moment. Yeah, to not be fully Mm. engaged in that moment. So so it's no less a tragedy. It's just that, that... our society supports our tragedy better than it does the others. You know, the other we get ones. rewards despite that. Mm. And some the... people, there are some people who just flat out succeed in that system and 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 enjoy it. So the, uh, there is the full spectrum. There are those who mm-hmm. were rejected by the system, and there are those who succeeded in the system, like fully succeeded and became, you know, realized within their because they just happen to align with it. So mm-hmm. the full spectrum is there, and it's just a matter of like, can we shift it? And my work is really, can we shift it to that place where we really 
help children become attuned to what their life is, independent of their circumstances and their, their, the things in their life that you know, are, are going on nonetheless, but how do you tune them into the great things and the enthusiasm of learning itself? So, How do we invite children... Because as as a, as a, as a parent, I can mm. I can see so much of my role being to steer the ship. Obviously, the ship is made a certain right. way, and God created that ship the way. And that's my belief. Doesn't have to be your belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, I was talking to you, you and the audience. Sorry, yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. No, fully caveat. Um, but yeah, I feel like God created the ship, but I'm here as a bit of a rudder for my son, um, Touchwood. Yes, and yeah, it. it <sighs> How do you, well, now I'm asking from the perspective of a parent, but from the perspective of a parent, I guess, you're looking at a child going, they need as much support as they possibly can get Mm -hmm. from um, my guidance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which even recently I'll I'll, I'll I'll lay the cards on the table. Like, you know, Melbourne here, the education system is quite, I don't want to use the word cutthroat, but competitive is probably the right (laughs) word. You have to put the kids' names down for schools. Early. Relative yeah, to how yeah. close they were born dictates, mm. and you applying to that school dictates the likelihood of success of getting it. And it's like, this kid barely has a name, and now I've got to attach a school <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to it, you know? And it's like, yeah. you're looking at this education system going, like, what is going on here? So, is there a way that the child actually can dictate its own terms towards um, education? And maybe even that sounds too. Um, <laughs> hierarchical and is it just a matter of connecting into hey this is what the child's inspired by right well that, that's the thing is that that for a parent it's really about you know the, you can see when they're when they're little they have that light in their eyes and they're just like you know engaged right and and the trick is what's the thing what's the school what's the, the learning situations where that comes out more than mm. any other Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's really hard because you're you know putting in applications to schools where you don't know if this is going to be your child's jam. You know, this is a, mm-hmm. this is the thing that turns them on. That's a good. You don't know, and yeah. you know you're 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 as a responsible parent, you're having to sort of hedge your bet and say, well, if I don't apply now, I I don't have a chance. Uh, and if, is that the chance I want them to have? Uh, mm. And if it is, do I have to you know? hedge my bet across you know apply to many different schools you know very early mm. or you know it, it's a tough question and that's where understanding education as more than the tick list of things that academics provide you know like oh they're going to have the math and the reading and the you know is looking deeper and saying well is education truly reflected in academics and academic success mm. i think it's more I think it's more than that. Um, like fundamentally, what you want an education to do is orient someone to reality. Because we think our, our, our the illusion we have is that we're directly in touch with reality. Like, okay, here's this thing, I have it. Therefore, therefore, I can not only have this object in my hand. I'm holding a mouse for those on the audio. Um, <laughs> you know, I have this object in my hand. But then, can I also say? that I have, you know, when I think of an idea, I grasp that idea. That's a metaphor. (laughs) Mm. Okay. Now, do we decide 
that, oh, that's an unreal thing, like the idea is unreal. Well, that's that's what a lot of the academic subjects are saying. Well, there's something called an economy. What it, you know, that's a thing. Can you grasp it? Well, you can't mm. point to it. You can't observe it. You can't, you know, it, yeah. it's out there somewhere. Um, so do we deny it's real and call it an illusion? Well, that's not true either. There's actually a really good, a lot of things going on to say that that's a real thing. So, so that's the big challenge is like, how do we get in touch with reality? We have this illusion that we're directly in touch with it because of how our physical senses work. Yeah. But the world's much more complicated than that. The world's huge. It's vast and it's complicated. <laughs> And, and we have to do things, we have to look at the subtleties and, and, and how, do, how does it really work? So when you're thinking about education, hmm. the thing is that you're not just getting, helping your child get in touch with physical reality, there's mm -hmm. layers to reality. Uh, this, the, you know, we can talk about deeper levels in terms of scientific understanding or we can talk about different levels in spiritual understanding. We can talk mm -hmm. about all kinds of understanding. And reality is all of those things too. So mm. how do you discern, how do you help your child get from kind of being a delusion machine into having some relationship with reality? And that's where we have to have not just trust our own senses, we have to mm. trust institutions to help us understand beyond our senses what's going on. And scientific institutions have one approach to that, spiritual institutions have a different approach to that. Now, it's a tricky thing. You can find liars on both sides. <laughs> you can find mm. cheats on both sides. Oops. <laughs> it's, 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 science may have a better grasp of causal things in mm. physics, chemistry, and biology, and probably some other fields, but they don't have the whole thing, and you can find people lying about it there. But you can also mm -hmm. find... On the spiritual side, there's a lot of people who very well intentioned, but they, you know, there are the Jim Joneses and the, the you know, the people who've done some crazy things. Mm -hmm. So, so how do you ensure that the, you're getting in touch with reality? Well, it turns out that my field is psychology. Um, mm -hmm. I do have that scientific perspective, but I also grasp that there is a real uh, important part of our life that is spiritual. Metaphysical. And how yeah, do you understand I've noticed that, that about your and work. be in yeah. touch with that? You know, yeah. So, so, so that means I have to figure out what is it that I how how am I going to trust? Is really mm. what it comes down to. And the first thing you're going to do as a parent is build trust with your child. The more mm. your child, so so God created. I'll, I'll, we'll use God. Uh, now, for me, it's just a you know, it's a placeholder in a way. It's it's, mm. it's, it's here's could something. Could be I'm universe. Could be creator. Could be creation. Yeah. Whatever you want yeah. to call it. I, I'm I'm a universalist. So and just <laughs> uh, just uh, please continue down the train of thought. But it's not who are you going to trust. It's how are you going to trust. Correct. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair statement. Um, um, there, there. You, you need to have both. You need to say mm. who and how. Sure. Um, because you have to understand. So. When you're when you're asking who am I going to trust, part of what you mm. have to look at is is the deeper realities of how brains interact with policies to create limitations. So when when I, I one of my big subjects is the hidden curriculum. Mm. So you I was know, ask you about that today. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, we God does a good job of hiding, <laughs> right? And so when you're looking for what's that hidden stuff, well, one of the reasons we developed science was because reality which is equivalent to God. 
I, I follow, <laughs> there's this guy, Michael Dowd, who's a theologian, who says, you know, let's just say God and reality are the same thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to grasp reality, you're trying to grasp God. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that, how, what is it that, it, how do we get past our delusions about them and yeah. past our, our, our companions' delusions about it? Well, that's, that's where it gets interesting. That's what the hidden curriculum is about. It has those brains interact with policies. And I use policy very broadly. Mm. So when, when I'm talking about education, as a teacher, part of what I'm trying to do is, is okay, how can I structure this situation? Because uh, one thing is that my, the idea that I take knowledge out of my head and deliver it into my student's head, mm. that's a weird metaphor. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a common metaphor, but it is a metaphor, and it's um, very limited in terms of how it means. There's no evidence that, in fact, anything goes from here to there. There's coincidences mm-hmm. that, you know, if you were ignorant and then you were taught and then you're, you know, no longer ignorant, it seems like the teaching did the thing. Yeah. But from a neuroscience perspective, that's not plausible. Uh-huh. Something you had to be active in the in the construction of that knowledge in some way in order for the neurons to change. That's what knowledge is on some level is like you had to uh, rearrange your neurons. So I as a teacher didn't deliver something to you. And then suddenly you're enlightened? No. You unpacked something and I unpacked something at the same time. Exactly. Now, when you grab, when you, and, and one of the interesting things about psychology is that it has uncovered that, one, we don't have direct grasp of reality. Yeah. <laughs> but we yeah. also Maya. have a, <laughs> yeah. yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It, it, there is an illusion, but we also have the ability to go beyond that illusion, to get better at grasping what is reality. Now, we'll never have a complete and total grasp, like reality still out, mm. always out of rush. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do we get better at it? And mm-hmm. and there's a few institutions in our societies that have really grounded themselves in a certain way of approaching it. That's the sciences, that's journalism, mm-hmm. and that's like courts and things like that. So there's some key institutions that have really grounded themselves in that, and it's brought us amazing things in Benefits this world. as a society. Benefits, yep. technologies, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But it built itself on some delusions. It's like mm. the very delusion that the universe mm-hmm. is knowable, as in we could grasp the mm. entire universe and understand the whole thing. Well, one of the things science has revealed is that's never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> there are so yeah. many things that have kept banging away at that. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, the uh, incompleteness theorem of mathematics. There, you, you could go, I have a whole list actually in the book somewhere uh, of about six different things. And it's like, mm. if those six things are, you know, it starts to pile up and you realize... It, it, we're just never going to nut it out. <laughs> we're, we're, we're never going to Now, the thing that we can do is we can decide what is worth pursuing, what mm. is worth knowing. We have a truly infinite universe mm-hmm. from, from our limited unknowability perspective is like okay well it's practically infinite so the question is what's worth knowing pursuing yeah what's worth pursuing and that's where the spiritual and the scientific are actually starting to come together so you have the practices like mindfulness that have really got a good solid empirical foundation to say yep that's a real thing and you don't need religious overlays on it to make it work it works mm. even if you t- strip all that away because there's a human capacity for being in touch with reality or grasping towards reality or, you know, uh, so, so, so that's where, okay, let's get back to the parent and say, okay, 
as a parent, how am I helping my kid? Well, the God has designed your child in a certain way. Mm. He has needs. Okay, you got to feed them. You got mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you to clothe them. You know, you got to shelter yeah. them. You got to, you know, there's anything. Well, the, it's the psychological needs that actually are the, the kind of are emerging in the education world. It's like, oh, wait, they have a need for autonomy. Mm. So you have to, when you, when you have that inclination, like, okay, do I choose the school or should they choose the school? That's actually the right question to ask. Mm. When they're young, yes, you have to make some decisions for them because they don't understand the nature of the question itself. And so you do need, when they're young, to make some decisions and do your best. But then you also have to pay attention and find out how are they showing up there. Mm-hmm. Are they, is that light staying on in their eyes? Are mm. they really grasping who, like, are they tuning into this community and really taking it on and saying, oh, these are my people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's keep going. Or these ain't my people. Yeah. They're, they're, it's not working for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, then that's, that becomes that dialogue that you have to have with your child about, Okay, you pay attention to it. When they're young, you have to kind of carry the burden a bit. But as they get older, you should really be clear that they need to be making decisions. They, the more decisions they make, the better they're going to get at making decisions. And the more you can enable them to stretch those boundaries of good decision making, like, okay, how can I trust them a little more? Hmm. And that's where they have to, you, you're the person they're going to trust ideally you're going to be a trustworthy person for them and they're going mm-hmm. to trust you with decisions and with, with, but they also have, so, so they have a need for relatedness. They mm-hmm. have to be connected to you and, and, and they have to have a community of people. So relatedness and autonomy. Mm-hmm. Some people sometimes think they're kind of different or opposite. And it's like, Nope, it's both. Mm-hmm. They have to have a connected, trusting relationship. 
a coded language for those same things to the degree that mm. they're successful. Because um, we're, we're observing uh, consistently through the sciences um, that when you support autonomy, competence, and relatedness, you know, learning is deeper, learning is more engaged. So, so what you as a parent are saying, okay, how do I structure my, my family and my life and, and work with my partners and, and, and my community to create a life for these people? Because these people are small and they're not making decisions yet for themselves. How old are your kids, mm. by the way? Uh, he's almost two. Yeah. Okay, so very young. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so you're having to say, okay, how are we structuring this? Now, when they're two, you're their life. <laughs> like the, yeah. The, yeah. It, 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 family is it. Um, yeah, and I also noticed even some of the examples, like recently we've been like, teaching him to swim, and mm. there's only so much he can really swim. It's like getting exactly. him used to water, and he yeah. hated it for the first semester, but then the next, mm. like now it's his highlight of his week. And I appreciated <laughs> yeah. what you said before about in the early stages, you're stepping in a little bit more, but then also there's an right. art to sort of pull back as they get a little bit older because I was like, oh, but he never would have made it to swimming to like loving it if I had have stepped in too early and just said, oh, I don't see the light in your eyes. I'm not going to do it. But right. yeah, I appreciated right. your point in terms of early on, you play more of the role, but then also there's an art to sort of know as a parent to give it some space when the plant is growing. It's like, okay, now more sunlight, more water, please. And you exactly. know, let me sort of grow the way I want to. Sorry, I've interrupted, but... Yeah. No, no, no. That's exactly right. That's, and and that's that's a that's that is the ongoing dialogue forever as a parent, mm. is is your your so so you can quote Rumi and you know the um, the one about the bow and that you know you I'm sure you know the quote yeah uh, yeah <laughs> um, is that that at best we're the bow and we're not the arrow we're not we're we're, we're creating a, a, a launching point for them mm. but they have to have a journey of their own their life takes its own journey um, yeah and, and you it's you... a Khalil Gibran I think and he, he oh, says yeah, yeah. Um, as they love the creator as he loves the arrow he also loves the bow that's steady um, yeah. and they come through us they're not of us and that, that was such a powerful yeah sorry I love that I love that quote yeah. thank you for bringing yeah, it up exactly yeah. exactly yeah and so and so the challenge is is, is knowing is figuring out and being in the dance mm. of of how much do I structure their life and their what they're doing and enable them to make decisions? And how much do I peel back structure and say, make what are the decisions you can make now? Mm. You, when they're two, they're not making a lot of decisions. <laughs> uh, mm. But as they get older, you're going to have to have be in a constant dialogue about what decisions matter to you because mm. sometimes the decisions that they want to make, you know, like like you might give them a choice between two things that they don't care about. Mm. And it's nice that you gave them the choice, but if it's the one they don't care about, that's not the one that mattered. The one that matters mm -hmm. is the one they care about. And sometimes, as a parent, you have to make choices and decisions that they don't want you to make. Mm. Uh, mm. But you have to. Uh, you know, we don't come into the world wired for understanding traffic, for instance. Yeah. Um, especially when they're two. He's probably got his legs under him, right? Is he, is yeah, he got, yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, he got, does he! So he will go, and so yeah. you have to say, "Okay, I understand traffic. He does not. He was not brought mm. into this world with it, mm. and so you have to make him hold your hand, you ha or carry him, or you know, you have to make decisions that he may not want you to make, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, because you have the bigger sight, you have a bigger vision of how the world works." 
And he wasn't brought in with that knowledge. And you need to impart that knowledge. And the way you do that is you, first of all, get him to survive to an older age. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you protect him from the cars in the traffic. But then, mm-hmm. as they start to, because he's also got those internal drive, this dr- God-given, like, I will figure out how to be independent of you. <laughs> mm. I will figure out how to be competent in the situation. I will figure mm-hmm. out how to express myself here. And that's where you and you figure out ways as a parent how to structure. Okay, how does that work? And and how do I help him learn that that is, you have to look first thing is going to be look both ways. He's probably not up to look both ways yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be a few years down the road. Uh, mm-hmm. But eventually you'll be like, okay, he knows to look. And eventually, mm-hmm. and he does that because he respects, you know, he, he, he's, he's in relationship with somebody who's bringing that to him, and he eventually mm-hmm. learns that. Now, when you get to be a teenager, if someone were trying to hold your hand across the street, that would be taken as an insult, <laughs> because <laughs> you see yourself as a competent person. You are a yeah. member of this society, so trying to hold your hand, now, now the teenager would love to hold the two-year-old's hand to get across mm. that street, because that yeah. signals their competence. Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. so so that's where it gets tricky. Is is they don't come into the world with traffic as a thing, but eventually mm. they get it and they incorporate it into who they are. Now I don't go up to a street and go, "Woohoo! I get across the street!" And I'm gonna do all, <laughs> like intrinsic motivation to cross a street safely is not mm-hmm. a thing. It's a mechanism I use because I've learned it and I've incorporated it into who I am. Mm-hmm. But it's not intrinsically motivating to do it in a safe manner. Yeah. So, so, so this is one of the conversations in education is that there's a lot of people who have really interesting notions about how important intrinsic motivation. So if you look at the radical alternative schools where mm-hmm. they give kids, you know, like they, they get to make all the choices. They don't have yeah. required academics. They have mm-hmm. other ways that they do things. And some of them will talk about what they do as if everything's intrinsically motivated. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. That's not true mm-hmm. of anyone. And so you can't overemphasize the intrinsic, like I, I could talk about enthusiasm and joy and, you know, and learning. Mm. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's important. Vital ingredient, but it's not <laughs> it's the whole dish. But it's also having someone realize like, oh, there's a reality out there beyond mm. me and it will kick my behind <laughs> if I'm yeah. not dealing with it appropriately. So mm-hmm. extrinsic motivation of that kind is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're holding your child's hand when they're not capable of safely crossing a street is an okay kind of extrinsic motivation and engagement. I think the hard part is between those two dipoles lies such a chasm of, an ex- like of a spectrum. It's so vast. Mm-hmm. And I think... And, and, I'm conscious that this is about education and not parenting, but I think we're at a particular juncture in this conversation. I think that's what makes parenting so hard, though, mm-hmm. because there is no right or wrong, you right. know, and I think the nature of my question was looking for a right way. Right, and I love right. the way you've responded it because it is it is a spectrum and right. ultimately we're going to make choices and there are going to be consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big takeaway also is, and I know this sounds really obvious now having listened to you share, but the fact that education is greater than academia right. alone is a massive point to really like, cause even as you're describing the examples, it's like real world stuff that we're, we're taking on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, 
there's a there's a reason why the school systems and 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 school systems are pretty much the same all over the world. Uh, the mainstream. So I've been to China. I have seen their schools. I've been to、uh, schools in a lot of different places.、Mm. And so the mainstream systems are largely the same. Standardized.、Mm. Standardized.、Um, not particularly great for children.、Um, mm-hmm. The yeah, it, it, the the、uh, there's a massive global epidemic of disengagement across the school systems. And is that the key metric that you're looking at in terms of when you're saying not great for children because children、yes. are actually disengaged and fundamentally they're there to learn and yet they're not even they can't engage with what the fundamental tenet of why they're there exactly is exactly yeah and, right that makes a lot of sense sorry I just wanted to get super clear yeah yeah that no that, yeah. that that's exactly is that that when you look at and and it's it's a historical accident essentially well. That might be overstated, but it, it, there's some historical reasons why it looks the way it does.、Mm. Is we have this delusion about education that it's delivery that I just take it out of here and put it over there and then we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, conduit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And if that's if that's your model, then then when I I go to you know、um, develop schools in some other somebody else's country. So you know, great white hope and taking you know school building schools in Africa or Afghanistan or something like that.、Mm. When I do that, I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to get a bunch of teachers who are going to deliver this curriculum, this content into the heads、mm. of my of these students, and that's going to be it.、Mm. Um, and and if you and and that's what we've done. We did it to our own children too. So this、mm. is not this is not merely colonialism.、Mm. That's part of it. Uh, but we col- col- colonized ourselves first, <laughs> and then,、mm. then we colonized everyone else,、um, and it was not all that much better for us either.、Um, right. So, so when we went to that level and we said, "Okay, we just deliver it," then then that becomes the、uh, the way that we put the whole thing together, and and we created limitations based on that metaphor. Said,、mm. oh, all I have to do is measure it once it's there, and we're good. And that's so you have you have a test, and you can standardize the test because once you know it's there, you're good to go. You don't come back and retest it unless you、mm-hmm. you know unless you're being remedial. And so so there's a whole bunch of reasons why the system looks the way it does in the mainstream.、Mm-hmm. That and, and and now we've learned a lot of things through the sciences primarily that are saying, oh, things aren't the way we thought they were. And around learning in particular, and like for instance, there's a uh, there's a, a, a conservative element in the education politics, particularly here in the U.S. I don't know how it is in all the rest of the world, but、mm. um, I know that the cons- there there's there's a consistency in the conservatism in education that says that wants to stick to the delivery model. They want to、uh, they 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 kind of like say, well, may- maybe you shouldn't be doing social emotional learning. In schools, this is a conversation in in the United、mm. States in particular,、um, where some for political points somebody equated social emotional learning with、uh, critical race theory, which is a bit of a leap. It, it's yeah, a false, it's a false equation. It's like yeah, it, it, it's not they're they're not related in any meaningful way,、mm. but it got out there, and now there's parents who are saying we don't want social emotional learning in our schools, and it's like. Wait a minute. <laughs> when when they, they've they've done these great studies where they ask people they describe social emotional learning without using the words,、mm. 
Mm. And then parents say, yes, that's exactly what we want. But if you put the words on it, then they'll say, that's not what we want. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, there, the point is that, that there's, there's a conservatism that doesn't take into account what we really know about learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I'm kind of up against in my mm-hmm. work is to say, okay, I understand that you have that perspective and now we have to t- have a conversation where I, because I honor your aunt autonomy, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong and I'm right and let's move mm-hmm. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Funny thing, people don't like that. <laughs> people don't listen. You're wrong and they shut down. You're like, what a surprise. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I happen to, to like being told I'm wrong either. Mm. Um, and so the challenge is then, how do I communicate with them? And bring them along on the journey. Yeah. And bring them in the journey, exactly. Is, is how, do, how do I say, okay, I understand what you're saying, but, but let's really look at, and, and, and that's one of the things that, that's, that usually when I have the conversation with people who disagree with me politically, mm-hmm. is that if we can get down to, we really value the children, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, if we can get down to that and then say, oh, and children work in a certain way in the world, uh, then we can start to have a different conversation. Uh, but then it tends not to be a very political conversation. Um, so, so so getting to education. Education has this sort of delusion that it's operating under in the mainstream. And so the mm. challenge is how do we shift it? How do we, they're, they're, the schools that do something radically different have existed for over 100 years, mm. but they remain marginal to the industry. Mm. And the question is, how do we bridge that gap? How do we get those schools that I know are doing a good job because I studied several of them and and know that they maintain intrinsic motivation for learning despite mm. decades of, of, of research showing that kids' de- intrinsic motivation declines every year and across years. What uh, are so some of those schools, different. schools? Yeah, because I, and I asked from a place because I can see we have a similar sort of hustle in Australian politics is like there's this real push to standardize tests and right. everyone's like standardize, 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 like, you know, and it's almost touted from this place of we're not leaving any child behind. Right. Right. right? And it's Which is um, ironic. <laughs> yeah. And then, but there's this whole, every kid is infinitely nuanced and unique and mm-hmm. how much are you going to, yeah, just uniformize literally everybody for a, a white or blue collar job in some way. Um, yeah, yep, exactly. <laughs> but you know the yeah, there's there's again a spectrum between those two things. So you're mentioning that there are schools that actually honour that infinite nuance between the individual and yet can also cultivate education within them. Yeah, what do some of those examples look like? So so one uh, I mentioned earlier. You know, imagine a school where there are no academic requirements. And then the kids are anywhere from four years old to 18 years old. So it's the full mm-hmm. spectrum of K-12. And they're not required by anybody to study subjects or learn to read or anything like that. Now, of mm-hmm. course, when you say that, people freak out and say, ah, but well, they're not going to learn to read. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the schools that has looked at their alumni over and over again has said, we've never produced an illiterate student, you know, an illiterate, you know, someone who moved on from our school. None, none of them have ever been illiterate. Yet the New York City schools has evidence, you know, like yeah. there's a whole book about some kids who sued, successfully sued the school district for not teaching them to read. And so, you know, <laughs> clearly documented they got produced it. So how is it possible that not requiring academics leads to academic success? Um, 
because that's but that's part of what they show. They they, they do have that's a, a great question. I wish I asked that. Yeah. So so the 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 thing about it is that you have to realize that um, from a scientific point of view, what we realize, oh, kids are wired to be competent mm. in the world in which they exist. God created them to strive towards being competent in their in the setting in which they they live. And so what happens is these kids live in an environment in which competence means you have to be able to communicate. You have to, like so for instance I'll describe one of the schools. So the one of the schools I studied is called the Village Free School in Portland, Oregon, USA. Mm. And they only have three rules that have not changed since they began. And there are things like um y you know uh, uh respect the things people's things and the things the school owns um mm. respect other people um and and understand that your freedom ends where somebody else's begins so so they're a free school as in freedom um and and their guiding principles are those those things about respecting each other <laughs> and and the challenge is that that those kids are actually not only uh, making the rules for the school, they enforce the rules for their school. So it's not adults having a set of rules and then enforcing them on the children. Mm. The children made the rules. The children enforce the rules. And then when, when there's a violation, they actually have to go before, well, the, the person who calls them on it can either just have a conversation and solve it. That's often what happens. That's mostly what happens. But occasionally that doesn't work out or there's some tensions beyond that. So they will write it up and then they take it to a, a group that then adjudicates it. And it's kids. It's also students who are hearing mm. the complaint and figuring out what to do about it. Mm -hmm. so, so it looks very, very different because uh, all of the adults in the space have the same rights as the kids. And are learning too. Mm -hmm. And are learning too, exactly. Is that there's the the equality that they espouse is we are it's it's kind of an equality of learning in the space, and and some of the you know the adults have certain mm -hmm. legal responsibilities and there's you know a board that's made up of adults legally has to be made up of adults that makes big decisions, but yeah. the day to day decisions are made by the kids, by yeah and by directionally the is sorry uh, tangent uh, not tangent. Question, is that what holistic equity sort of is starting to allude to from your perspective, or am I, am I leaping too far? No, that, I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the far reach. So that, that's where I, what I see is when I, when I say holistic equity. Yeah, because that's your website, right? HolisticEquity.org. Yeah, holistic um, yeah. Is what I'm referring to is, is we need a deeper understanding of what equity means. Mm. The, the, the conversation in the public tends to be sort of all about subgroups racial gender disability oh, okay. various okay. things so the, so you and then you have to say well uh, one of the ways that's problematic to talk about it is well all those groups have to have equal every subgroup should have equal outcomes well mm. that's problematic cuz i'm not you <laughs> i don't yeah. want to be you <laughs> you know yep. and so we're going to have different outcomes in life yep. now everyone agrees that your race or your gender or your abilities should not artificially limit, limit your opportunities yeah. in life. You know, we all agree on that. 
Nobody mm. thinks that racism is okay. Nobody thinks that mm. sexism is okay. Mm. Not out loud and in public. Um, mm. so, so what we're doing is we need to think about the equity conversation in a way that says, oh, if we tie it to needs, mm. not outcomes, or the, or the only outcome that matters is, are your needs supported? So if you're starving, that's not okay. That's not equitable. Mm. But if you're not having your autonomy supported, that's equally not okay. And so how can we have that? So a, a chunk of my book is devoted to how do we be more precise about what equity means? And mm. I added the term holistic because that is a way that I view the world. And mm. I think it, it, it takes a more nuanced perspective on what equity should mean. It's in a way that respects yeah. both the conservative critique of equity, because I, mm. I don't know about other countries, but in the U.S., equity tends to be associated with, with the left in politics. Mm. And there's a sort of anti-equity crowd within the conservative elements of our society. Mm. And, and they have legitimate critiques. And so if you don't take account of the legitimate critiques, because they also have some illegitimate ones, um, mm. but if you take account of the legitimate critique, like about you can't just create all the same outcomes for everybody in society. That's not possible or, mm. or sane. Mm -hmm. But what do you tie it to to ensure that equity is actually happening? And that's where needs come in. And, and being really clear about a scientific definition of needs so that we're not waffling on language. We're saying, oh, here's precisely what the needs are mm -hmm. and how do we then meet them? And how do we make sure that we're that they're being met? Facilitated, um, yeah. Exactly. And and if you don't have a way of of measuring that outcome mm -hmm. then you're not going to produce you're not you're not going to improve and and that's where a lot of people don't realize that we actually have some really good measures of needs psychological needs that actually are pretty you know, you know clear <laughs> um mm -hmm. it's not rocket science <laughs> it's brain science well what are some <laughs> of those needs uh so so specifically the needs for autonomy competence and relatedness right. those are the key ones yeah and sleep is the other psychological need um, but yep. people don't really have sleep's not too controversial, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. autonomy, competence and relatedness are the needs that that are really shorted. Well, in in elementary school, the autonomy need tends to not be well supported mm. by the time you get to middle and high school, then your relatedness needs may be not being well supported. And of course, mm -hmm. the whole system is geared towards competence. But it's geared towards an external imposition of competence, not an internal sense of competence. And this that's is where the psychological that need. Foul, foul achievement comes into exactly. one of the issues that we first first touched on. This is really coming together. I can see it. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because as I'm sh hearing you share, and it's been the depth of it is profound, if I can say so, Don. Um, one of the interesting pieces I'm realizing is even the foul achievement piece. I it's it's not just limited to children because what's happened is I'm I'm have I had the visceral realization about ten minutes ago in our conversation when you were sharing that even the birth of the inspired evolution and me interviewing individuals such as yourself has been my relearning attempt to try and learn the things that I really want to learn and cultivate that joy of learning once again exactly. to actually develop competency in the places where I'm intrinsically motivated from Yes, rather yes. than having played into that space for so long with academic success without really intrinsically being motivated to those things, mm -hmm. but just externally being motivated. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I'm just real like, 
I think that's an easy example to give the audience. And it was just very poetic that we're in that podcast while I'm having that realization about the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and in a way, understanding those schools that operate so differently is, is what if you were a kid and had an mm. inclination and then simply used the tools of the society, a podcast or, a, you know, mm. the, the computer to then pursue that? Mm. Like, what if that was just how, how it worked? Well, that is how it works when you give kids that freedom. That's um, autonomy. They, they, will, they will find ways. And, and one of the, the ways that the adults operate in those spaces is their job is to discover ways to support the kids mm -hmm. in conversation with the kids, not imposing something like, oh, you should learn this. It's, oh, you want to learn that. Oh, I know somebody who has that skill. Or... I know there's a there's an online course or there's a local community college that offers that or there's uh, you know there's a gazillion ways that it could happen mm -hmm. but it's really tuning in and figuring out okay who, who how, how do we how do we move forward with this now one of the things I did for I, I taught psychology for a year at uh, village free school uh, this is a little while after I did my research but um, but you know the 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 kids were anywhere from 10 years old to about 17 and so mm -hmm. I had a very wide age range. Um, and it was just because, you know, I said, hey, I, they, they, at the beginning of the year, they said, hey, we, you know, we're kind of interested. And I said, hey, I could teach that. <laughs> um, mm. And it was supposed to just be one semester, but then it like bloomed into this whole thing. And they just wanted to keep going. So we went for a whole year. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just about, you know, I was learning because I, I have very little formal instructional training mm. I, I have no formal instructional training i've mm. just been figuring it out on my own but it was like really fun it was engaging for me because i was figuring out how to teach stuff and they were just soaking it up and we had a great time um mm. doing some interesting things but that was what it was was we came together and learned together i had a lot mm. to teach them in some sense but it was also this dialogue about oh how do we engage with this how do we do this and what should we do and what would be really fun as a way to learn it and, and they so, were teaching yeah. you <laughs> in that way Absolutely. as well. Yeah. So following your work, I can see that psychology really is, um, is really at the heart of bridging these worlds in so many ways, understanding why people tick the way that they do mm -hmm. so that we can really come to terms with, hey, neither is right or wrong, mm -hmm. but, you know, what is the approach that espouses the best outcomes? And I can see why, yeah, you said this earlier on, it's disengagement from learning is a disengagement from life and why it becomes such a spiritual conundrum in some ways because... Yes disengagement from life is is a spiritual conundrum whereas disengagement from learning is a is a is a schooling and an education problem <laughs> right, right um because following your work there is definitely you hold space for psychology and then you hold space for politics as well because i guess that's within where the education model sort of lives within is, is heavily influenced by exactly. um, let's call it that but then you mentioned school leadership and i was like that is that's mm. an interesting piece. Now, I'm acutely aware at this juncture in the conversation, it makes a lot of sense. But prior right. to coming right. to this conversation, like psychology, politics, I understood, but school leadership, I was like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. "Yeah, what, is, what does Don really from? mean by that and where is he taking the conversation? Right. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. that's where it's an interesting piece because um, looking at leadership as a way of so so i make this distinction between leadership and management mm. where management 
is really when, if I'm the manager, my job is to take responsibility for the existence of the organization. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that the bills are paid, that people are hired and fired, whatever it is, I have to deal with the organization. So it's if you think of, a, of a, the organization as a certain level, and then within that, at a separate level, there are all the individuals that make up that organization. But they have individual needs. Mm -hmm. And the organization has a set of needs that are independent of those individuals. The organization has to have funds to operate and it has to have, mm -hmm. you know, employees to do things or, you know, people, labor of some kind mm -hmm. to do something. And so that's where the management is about that level. Mm -hmm. Leadership is about how do we align the different levels at which this organization exists. So, so in addition to the management level, you could also look at how that uh, organization deals with other organizations. So, how do I deal with my suppliers? How do I deal with with my uh, government who's regulating my how I do my accounts and how I what compliance I'm doing? So, you have these levels: individuals, organizations, and then the organizations of organizations, states, other mm. you know, the whole thing. Leadership is about how do the needs at all levels align so that everyone thrives. That's leadership. Is not only do, is my organization going to survive and thrive, which is what where management overlaps with leadership, is looking at that organization level. But leadership is to say, how do my individuals who make up my organization, how do I ensure that they're thriving as much as the organization is? And when you look at this from this lens of like, oh, human needs really define the whole thing, is you're just giving them the opportunity to be the best kind of learner they can be. Isn't that ultimately what an organization is, is getting someone to learn what's the reality this organization confronts and mm. how do we ensure that we have an accurate grasp of that reality and react appropriately to the opportunities and, and challenges that are occurring in that space that the organization is facing because the organization is solving problems ultimately is its core remit yeah and exactly. so coming face to face to, with that reality yep. it has as i say you know learning learning organizations well if it's not a learning organization it's dead <laughs> mm. uh, you know it's gonna fail if it's not learning and and the only way that learning can happen is in human brains mm -hmm. I, i've i've so a part of my background is that I did, uh, I was the treasurer for a, a local environmental nonprofit. So I was the primary administrator and bookkeeper for, for a group that has done, you know, a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. So I did the payroll and I did the, you know, I've managed those systems. When you get those systems going, you, you have to realize that there's, there's all these different parts that have to align, you know, and, and, and if I don't take care of my people, if I don't, if they're not, Oh, oh the, the, so so my one of my uh, co-founders in the group uh, just insisted on everything being written down. Like you have to have manuals for everything. Now that's kind of a corporate en uh, uh, attitude, uh, mm. and I think he's actually backed off of it of it over the years. But his idea was that if you put everything in a book, then it then it exists independent of the person who wrote it and should enable the organization to know something about how that works. It's yeah. not that simple. Someone It'd be read great it. if it was that simple. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So so that's where it really is, you know, challenging to, to you 
it's a, it's a consequence of that sort of if it's in here and I can put it out there, then it exists. And it's, it's like that's mm -hmm. not how organizations work. Organizations rely on human brains. Mm -hmm. They exist inside human brains. And, and you have to be able to get those brains to function optimally for the mm -hmm. environment that your organization is facing. And so you have to really, organizations have to be fundamentally about the humans that make them up. And these these ideas that you can just go in and exploit workers and you know pay them very little and and you know have them pay starvation wages you know it's like when you scale you do that at a certain scale it worked you know mm. it produced profits it produced GDP but it doesn't produce thriving humans mm. and that's where I think we're in the, we're in a shift now and I think organizations are starting to catch on and 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 you know there's interesting examples around the world of different places where it's like you can flatten that hierarchy and get rid of that bureaucracy and still mm. produce amazing results. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can still have a large organization, but flat and organizationally, you know, where you don't mm -hmm. have to have layers of bureaucracy to get everything done. You can actually make it smaller. Uh, there's an example of this in China. Uh, there's an uh, organization called Hire. It's mm. actually global, uh, but it started in China. Um, makes refrigerators, you know, appliances. Actually, makes a lot more now, but that's where it started. Mm. Um, and you know, you think traditional. You know, they actually started out as a very hierarchical, government-run organization. But mm. over the course of the last thirty years or so, they've been through going through this transformation. There's, there's now anybody in the organization is only two steps from the CEO. Oh, wow. You know, it's very like different. they've flattened it completely. They've got, mm. you know, they're they're thriving for one, they've, and their people are mm. thriving. Uh, there's some books about it. Um, it's really fascinating stuff. Um, but that's where it's really interesting is when you really get these organizations to function in in this way where you're you're challenging people around autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Mm -hmm. You're giving them access to those fundamental supports. They thrive, and that causes your organization to be better at what it does. Because mm -hmm. it's now to it's utilizing those human brains to mm -hmm. figure out what's going on, and it's mm. coordinating and figuring that out together that's actually making it work. I've been holding my tongue thus far. We're talking <laughs> about tools and what's current and what's relevant. So I have to, I couldn't let you go today without asking, where do you feel? And I know this is probably the most subjective question out, out there. I know everything you've shared so far, you've, you know, you've gone in and, and researched. Um, and maybe you have researched this. I should probably stop pre-front loading your answer. Um, <laughs> artificial intelligence, where do you currently mm. think it lands in terms of as a tool for education, as a tool for, yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts in this particular space in terms of so So where? specifically in terms of education, is mm. when you understand what I mean by education, people having a better grasp mm. of reality. Yeah. AI is a nifty tool for, I'm sure, something, mm. um, but it's not going to do, it's not going to have any meaningful effect on education truly. It's irrelevant mm. to education fundamentally. It compounds it's a the achievement thing in some way. You're seeing people being able to write essays Absolutely. just by pumping the question <laughs> and it just pops out the essay for right, you and you're right. like... I did my essay, and it's like you did your essay. Sorry, yeah, right, right. No, that's exactly Echoing. right. Is is if anything, it's going to make the achievement problem worse. Mm. Which you know, you could look at that uh, in several ways. I mean, the 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 broken system we have is going to have to disappear one way or another. Mm -hmm. I tend to be more of a 
when I've looked deeply at large-scale change, large-scale systems change, when I look at that, I say, okay, the kind of burn-it-down thing is just Mm -hmm. a recipe for disaster. (laughs) Whenever you destroy instead of create, you you Mm -hmm. really have to question what you're up to. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not skillful in the realm that you're destroying, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So the challenge, and, and I refer to my friend Sharif Abdullah, who talked about, uh, he wrote a book called Creating a World That Works for All. Mm. And and he really talked about, you know, you have to create this parallel system that can step into the gap when the old system dies off or collapses or whatever it's mm-hmm. going to do. It's going to transform in some way. But you have to have these things that, that can fill the gap. You, mm-hmm. you can't just leave a void. I say, you know, power loves a vacuum or something like that. Anyway, you know, you, you, you can't just create a vacuum and expect good things to fill it. So yeah. a great example of that, um, Václav Havel wrote the, the, the uh, forward to Sharif's book. Mm. And Václav Havel talked about how uh, the reason that the, the, the Czechoslovakian revolution was relatively nonviolent Compared mm. to the re- uh, this is the 90s when the after the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union's falling apart and all that, is there were a number of countries in the old Soviet Union that had revolutions. Mm-hmm. Most of them, all except one or two, were violent. Ceausescu mm. in I forget um, Romania, I think that's it. Anyway, you know, very violent, very horrible, and and it was a devastating transition for most countries. Czechoslovakia had what they called the Velvet Revolution. Why? Mm. Because in 1970s, when the Soviets came in and suppressed an October revolution in, I think, 71 or 72, Václav Havel and his companions who were leaders in that revolution were all put in the same jail. And they passed, secretly passed around notes, and they wrote the Constitution that would be put into place, (laughs) or the outline of it at least, uh, in the 90s when the opportunity finally arose. They Mm. had something ready to fill the vacuum. And that's yeah. that's part of the work I'm trying to do with these schools that are on the margins currently is I'm trying to say, hey, how can we have something that can fill a, if the system starts to really collapse, like mm. we really have an opportunity and some, or or even if it's not collapse, if it's just like they invite us in, mm. how can we put ourselves in there in a way that doesn't compromise and destroy what we do well in the schools we already created, which are almost mm-hmm. entirely privately funded and you know, parent funded and not state owned uh, or state operated uh, because the state tends to destroy them, uh, mm-hmm. which there's a, a, a whole bunch of historical examples of that. Um, so so they cr- most of the people in that stage say, well, we've given up on, on any kind of government funding, so they create their own thing. But how can you create a parallel system that's not exclusive of that system? Mm-hmm. Now, it, it's good to have those there because if there is truly a gap, they maybe can fill it. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if they have the capacity for that, but that would be a good thing. Or if they were invited in, could we create versions of it that actually still have the the, the real core principles that can make it work? And that's that's why my work is really does, does go deep uh, uh, because I have to say, you know, we have to reconceptualize. We have to think about education, not just as delivery, but also... Uh, 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 social justice work or, or, or social change mm-hmm. work and it is also fulfillment work is it personally uh, uh, enlightenment is a part mm-hmm. of education 
how do you think about that? How do you create an organization or a, or a school organization that can actually enable enlightenment to happen? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, mm. But all those things are, are valid ways of looking at education. And if you exclude one, and this is where the delivery model, it, would be, it wouldn't be bad on its own if it didn't exclude the other models. If you say a high-stakes standardized test is the only way to be acknowledged for, the, for, for your learning, mm. then you've cut off a lot of All different these other dimensions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it it is a complicated issue. <laughs> it's not a small mm. task, but it is something that that I'm looking at. How do we create the parallel opportunities? Infiltrate the mainstream. Do all those things, and 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 even transformation from the inside. I'm a fan of that too. Is yeah. Well, the way I see it, it is, is it's almost like you know when you double clutch. It's like you've already <laughs> got one gear sort of spinning to catch when you disengage from that other gear into the next right. gear. Exactly. Um, it's sort of Good what analogy. I see your um your inspirations being in the space. And it makes a lot of sense because yeah, I guess symptomatically you can see some of the things are splitting at the seams. Yeah. So yeah. what is that is a re and that's the opportunity that you're describing there. Exactly. John, exactly. I'm conscious. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. And yeah, we're so deep in as well. I'm conscious <laughs> of how much time we have left. But at the same time, I would love to hear um, what is your hope if we do level out leadership and we do, you know, leverage psychology and politics to mm -hmm. optimize education but also i'm even nervous to sort of say that because that is so broad but really engagement is really what i'm hearing at the heart of this like yeah. how do we what is your inspirations for engagement within education so so my vision of the world is when enthusiastic students are taught by passionate teachers in mm. joyful schools mm. now the vision is clear to me mm -hmm. but bringing about that vision is a little tricky because because that's the opposite of what happens right now. Um, and so that's what I've been, I've had that vision for decades. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been, you know, trying to figure out how, how do I even get my mind around how these different things work? How does the system work? Um, and, and so that's that's where like, yes, and that vision can be accomplished if we start to tune into exactly what it is that brings a human alive. Like, what is it that, gives them the enthusiasm what is it that that enables a teacher to be passionate such that when they come together joy is the result is the is the the norm in that school and and there are examples of that i've seen it and so that's where i psychology to me was the key is to say okay we actually can we have a science that looks at human beings and says wow they're amazing. <laughs> and it doesn't mm. say you have to dissect a human in order to f understand them. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. <laughs> mm. um, we now can, can think about it in more broad terms. We have, you know, uh, there's, there's the, the development of positive psychology, for instance, over the last 25 mm. years or so. Um, now, it has deeper roots, but that's when it actually got a name and actually became a thing. And there's limitations to it, for sure. Um, there's controversies in the field, as there is in any science. Um, it's not perfect, but it is producing some really interesting stuff that's validating a lot of what mm. the spiritual practices have been touting for a long time. Um, you, yeah. know, you can look across different realms and say, okay, you know, mindfulness in some ways was drawn from Eastern traditions. Mm -hmm. um, but there's forms of meditative practice and, and, and contemplativeness across all 
of the mm. spiritual traditions. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of absurd to say it's got a specific lineage and that's all it's going to be. It mm -hmm. is something that's human. In fact, yeah. Um, so, so we're actually learning a lot. The science, as the science of psychology in particular matures, it starts to look at a broader perspective and start to encompass. Like, for instance, uh, even my view of God is well, it's a placeholder. If if I say, you know, if you look at how number systems work, you know, before we had zero, so so like Greek number numerals don't have a zero. Mm. That yeah. makes a lot of calculations fiendishly difficult. Yeah, if not impossible. Mm -hmm. So having a placeholder for an absence is really important. Mm. To me, God, as a term, is just me acknowledging I have no idea. There's mm -hmm. some causal... Now, now, this is the thing. This is why I'm, it's not an atheistic point of view. Because I'm not saying that... that I, I'm saying there's a causal... There's something causal in that mm -hmm. absence you know, that I don't understand... It causes me to do things, causes things in my world. It has causal effects, but I don't understand it. So I'll call it God. I can be thankful for that. I can mm. curse that. But it's still looking at it in this larger perspective. And to me, that's just a consequence of our psychology. It's like, we can't know everything. And so you have to have a placeholder. And it's very useful to have a placeholder say, is every time I invoke the term God, you can interpret that as, oh, there's some causal things about going on that you don't mm -hmm. understand. Okay, great. But let's be clear about that and humble about what that means. To say that we know God's will, well, <laughs> if God is the absence of knowledge of what's, you know, like, that's, that's an interesting metaphor and we could debate mm -hmm. whether or not that's an appropriate metaphor for whatever it is the topic we're discussing. But that's where it's really interesting is we can take that spiritual view we can, and not, we can, we can take it and, and it's not, it's not traditional theism in the sense that we're going to assign it properties and, and assume mm. we know something. We don't. But yes, we're also not going to deny... exploration, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're not yeah. going to deny that there is something there. There's something important there. I mm. may not understand it now. It also doesn't preclude me from coming to know mm. what it is. You know, I, I can be ignorant of my biology, but when I, you know, get... <laughs> I had a kidney stone last year. Man, that's horrible. Mm. But man, I was really great to be able to have somebody who could go in, use technology, really figure out what's going on with me, and mm. and in a short time, you know, basically relieve tremendous suffering mm. uh, that I was having at that moment. Um, but then also, like, go beyond that. Like, okay, I didn't know what kidney stones were. I didn't, you know, I had kidneys. I don't, well, now I know a lot more about my kidneys than I did before. Mm. So it's not that I can't come to know. To me, it was, it was, I was cursed with kidney stones. You know, God cursed me mm. with them. However, now I've understood a lot more about them, and I've taken steps in my life to, you know, eat, eat less meat. Uh, I, that was about the only major thing that was on the typical symptomology thing. It's like, mm. oh, okay, you know, less drink. Well, I don't drink much, so that's not a thing. So, mm. you know, and you go down the list, like, okay, well, I can do that. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I changed my life a little bit, and, and so far, so good. <laughs> Knocking on wood. Yeah. Uh, but to me, if I just, if I, you know, thank God for medical intervention in my life that was tremendously helpful, that's no different than cursing God for giving me the thing that enabled me to do that. Uh, you know, like, like I can, I recognize that there's, there's things about the way that medical system works. I'll never understand the MRI machine that gave me the image, or it wasn't MRI, it was something else. Whatever mm. scan I got, 
You know, oh, mm. I have no interest in that. <laughs> mm. I don't need to understand it. And I can thank God for it, though, um, mm. and recognize that what I'm acknowledging is I'm ignorant of something over there. So, mm. so psychology to me is completely, compa- you know, helps me understand that, that there's a way that we can use spirituality is just tapping into something bigger than me. And that's exactly what psychology says is important. <laughs> mm. You know, it, it, there's a, one, of the, one of the interventions that is so clearly effective from positive psychology, besides mindfulness, is gratitude. Mm. Just being grateful for something in your world, in your life. Just having a regular practice of looking beyond yourself and say, what am I thankful for? That happens to be one of the a really powerful way to tune in, to be humble and grateful, and, you know, uh, and, and that's, that's also taught in every religious tradition, every spiritual tradition, that's you know, mm. uh, so, so it, 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 to me, it, it all does come together. Um, and, and I am perfectly comfortable having the science conversation because I'm a scientist, um, and recognize that spirituality is a part of the whole thing. And mm. and and they are not incompatible. Um, it's just mm. a matter of, like the the blind men and the elephant is uh, one of the po- great poems that I uh, put in my book. And it's you know the six blind men going up the elephant and and the way the the poem is re- written in eighteen seventy six or something like that um, mm-hmm. is, is you know they're oft in theologic wars they they uh, talk basically talk about things they've never seen, which is mm. you know the blind men and the elephant. Um, and they each mm. come to it and, and feel a different part of it and describe it in a different way. Well, the, the conceit of that poem that I find interesting is the the author of the poem presumes that we know the essence of an elephant. We know everything there is to know about an elephant merely by looking at it. Mm. That's completely absurd. We are no yeah. better than those blind men in terms of our <laughs> knowledge of an elephant. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. it, it, it's it's when we realize that and go, oh wait a minute, mm. they're presuming we know everything about the elephant, the essence of the <laughs> because elephant. Because I can like, see it from the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh. so, so the humility mm. we need to bring to the conversation is, and in fact, I ran into that poem in the context of reflections on science before I f- realized it was about religion. Mm. Um, mm. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating because both are efforts to grasp reality. And realizing that we'll never be, we're, we're, we're all continuously blind uh, and that will never change. And so it's a matter of more important than the elephant, you know, assuming we're superior to the blind men for our grasp of the elephant is to say, well, then how do we have a conversation amongst those blind men and ourselves and, and, and in a way that brings us to the humility to realize we don't understand elephants? Mm. We can understand a lot about them. We can, you know, people can study their biology and their social systems and their and amazing things about them and get to know them and train them and work with them and observe them in the wild and do all kinds of things. And we'll still be ignorant. Never know. You'll never know. The whole truth. Right. So. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing yourself here so abundantly and openly. And like I said before, I think we've only just scratched the surface um, in terms of, yeah, really how deep these rabbit holes go. But the key thing um, 
is yeah, just restoring our engagement mm-hmm. with education. Mm-hmm. I think it is potentially one of the most noble causes out there. So I just, you know, and like you said, you've dedicated decades to this work, potentially lifetimes. So taking a moment to thank you for today's conversation, but honestly, just thank you for your life's work really is what I would probably like to say. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. And for those that want to check out more, um, holisticequity.org is definitely a great place to start, would you say? Or yes, what absolutely. would you say? That's the best, yeah. best place to start. You, I've got tons of videos there. Um, and, and uh, you know, you'll notice the site doesn't have a, doesn't take a spiritual perspective um, because mm. that's basically a marketing tool. As I said, you know, uh, in my country, it's not worth it to include that element in there, but understand mm. that it is in my book of schooling for holistic informed. equity. Um, yeah. you know, so I don't shy away from it there. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm unafraid of, of, sharing that in public obviously i'm putting this on the internet or we're you know mm-hmm. we're gonna have mm-hmm. it on the internet so i'm not afraid yeah. of it i just uh you know uh given the context i work in i keep it on the low yeah yeah no i appreciate that and uh, we'll put a link to the website in the show notes below perfect and uh yeah just deep gratitude for for you sharing everything and just the realizations of so many so many realizations that have dropped in for me today and i loved that piece about you know where my freedom ends where someone else's begins. That was really beautiful from mm. the school as well. And uh, so many nuggets. And I know you guys took away a lot of stuff from this episode as well, Inspired Evolution Tribe and Audience. Again, you've listened all the way through to the end of another episode. I, oh, my hats are all off to you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in all the way through to the end. I'd love to hear from you guys. What is it that you took away from this episode? Leave a comment in the show notes below. As always, on behalf of Don and myself, it is truly our life's blessing to be walking home by your side as your brothers. As Mm. always, stay inspired, keep evolving. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 